Welcome to the Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL. And I'm the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore Slip. What's going on, Slip Nation? I hope y'all enjoyed y'all's holiday, whether it was Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, the New Year's. I hope that y'all all stayed safe. It is time to get back. We are in the new year, and I have a new year's resolution for you that I will. My hope and goal is to have one slip episode every single week. Now, that may be a little bit difficult, but for you, Slip Nation, and as I build up this podcast, I do feel like that is an important thing to get into um, and be consistent for y'all. Now, I can't promise a specific day, but I will say once a week is a good goal to have. And we have a lot to get into today. Um, We're going to have some more Hawks talk for the first time in about a month. We're also going to get into the Falcons. We're going to give your team MVP and offensive defense and all types of different rewards. But first, I got to tell you who I'm slipping on. And quite frankly... Um, I'm not even going to give y'all the sound for the slip uh, because it is a lot more important than that. And quite frankly, I'm slipping on America right now. And now if you are a part of Slip Nation and you want to be considered the slipper, I really encourage you to listen through this whole segment and just listen to the five or so minutes that I have to say about this. Um, you know, because this is something that's really important to me. And if you know me and you want to be a part of this slip nation, I think that it's important, um, for us to really recognize when sometimes there are things bigger than sports. Sports, um, are a huge thing in slip nation. Um, but sometimes there are bigger things that need to be addressed. And that's why I'm slipping on America. Tuesday night into Wednesday morning should have been a great time um, in America for a lot of people. Um, But, you know, it was a really big day for me personally because of the two Senate elections. Um, Around midday, it was confirmed that uh, John Ossoff had pulled away from the incumbent Senator Perdue. Um, to then join Raphael Warnock, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, um, in becoming the two Democrat senators of Georgia. In my lifetime, this is something that has not happened, and it was a special moment. And it was overshadowed by the chaos that happened at the Capitol in D.C., where pro-Trump supporters and quite frankly domestic terrorists decided to ransack the Capitol. This caused senators who were in session to be hidden in an undisclosed location. And it caused a lot of turmoil. I was hurt. I was scared. But quite frankly, I was not surprised. The leadership of this country incited the violence and the chaos that happened on Wednesday. And anybody that 
looks at America and sees it for what it is, can tell you that this moment in history was a long time coming. The racism and the fight on democracy that was displayed on Wednesday is not where America says they are. America likes to think that they are in a post-racial society, and they are not. The only thing that has come for the four years of President Trump's candidacy and presidency has been about five years, and, and quite frankly longer than that, of making racism and overt racism okay. I have no sympathy for the GOP members that decided to turn their back on Trump. It's a little bit too late. You do not get credit when you denounce the, the things that Trump has done 13 days before he's supposed to hand over the power. This is a country that is looked at to have a peaceful transition of power and we have known for longer than a year that if Trump had lost this election, which he did, that there would not be a peaceful transition. And this is exactly what we saw. On Wednesday, we saw that the demons of America's past is still living with us. And people need to be held accountable for the continuing oppression that is going on. This is not poor white folks from all around the country that are coming. These are people that are rich, that are in prominent positions. These are smart people that know what they are doing. As much as Trump needs to be held accountable for everything that he has done to incite the chaos that happened on Wednesday, the individuals who were part of this coup need to be held accountable as they are a direct threat to the independence of America and the freedoms that people have in America. And they are a direct threat to democracy. Now, I'm not sure what they expected to happen by ransacking the Capitol. Nothing that they could have done by ransacking the Capitol would have changed the results of the election, but a lot more chaos could have happened. Reports from the FBI showed that there were four explosive devices that were found throughout the Capitol, and what have those would have gone off? More now than ever, there needs to be a time where America needs to look at themselves in a mirror in the mirror and understand that their perception is not their reality. We are still fighting for the Civil Rights Act 60 plus years later. So when you look at me and say 
that America is such a great country? It's tough for me to acknowledge that. I understand how great it can be. But it's not right now. To get to the place where we want to be as a country and want to actually display the ideologies and behaviors that we say we want for other countries in this world. This is a time to start calling out your family. This is a time to start calling out your friends, if you still have friends who are on the other side, like the people who ransacked the Capitol, and let them know that these things are not acceptable. And we shall not cover these things up as diversity of thought. We shall not cover these things up as freedom of speech. Because when it came to freedom of speech for black people, when they were marching in the streets, when black and brown people were being shot to death over cigarettes, over parking tickets, over speeding, over holding a toy gun in a park. You can't tell me that that is a free country. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, now let's get into some Hawks talk. And, you know, it's a pretty exciting time for the Hawks. You know, I mentioned this in the preseason review and, and my brief thoughts about it, because honestly, I there wasn't too much that I could say about the Hawks, um, as I, I can't say I've honestly paid attention to too much. Um, after they had that number one seed in, I think that was 2014, I kind of fell off from the Hawks because it seemed like it would take a little bit of time to, for them to rebuild. Now, we are in that rebuild. And... They have a starting point guard that is on the brink of becoming a star in this league. They have a lot of pieces around him that can help. Um, some of these young players are starting to learn and starting to get better. And, you know, we'll go over a couple of them. Um, but after playing well at the beginning of the season, and we're still very early in the season, they've kind of struggled as of late. And it, and it's something that's happened all season long. Now, they have struggled to maintain leads. And this is why that they have a 4-4 four four record, currently ninth in the East, um, which means they're just spot out of the playoffs. So, you know, the start that they are in right now, I think is very good for what you would want out of a team like the Hawks. I think expecting more of them is reasonable because they definitely have the talent to do more. But I think that if you look at them right now and you see where they're at and you see the struggles that they are having, that you should feel pretty good about this. They really do have the talent and they showed it against a good team like the Nets. They stuck with them in the first game of their back-to-back -back where they were in it all the way into the end and were leading for a good majority of the game. And then they came back and beat them the second time that they played. 
Now, when you play people like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they'll drop 30 on you and make it look easy. And that's what they did in that first game. Now, in the second game, they weren't able to do that. And the, and the Hawks were able to show themselves of what they were able to do. And that's because they have a really good offense. Right now, they have a 114 offensive rating, which is good for fifth in the league. Now, when you look at their defensive rating, which is 109, it's 17th in the league. So you see where their struggles are, are defensively. And, you know, with their net rating at 4.2, it ranks 7th in the league. The starters are looking good. They really are. You have Trey Young um, with averaging 25 points and 8 assists. You got John Collins with averaging 18 points and 7 rebounds. You got DeAndre Hunter who has really improved his game and has the second best uh, rating, net rating overall, which is a 17. He is looking great on defense. And as a guy who was a defensive player of the year candidate in college, he is really starting to come into his own, but he's also starting to look good offensively. Now, one thing that's really holding the, the team back is the bench, which is I think is one reason why Bogdan Bogdanovich has been moved to the um, bench role and coming in like a sixth man because when the starters come out, that bench is really struggling to maintain leads. And, you know, quite frankly, with some of the injuries um, to like a Capella, to a Gallinari, um, that's really making it difficult for Coach Lloyd Pierce to keep a, a steady rotation. And I think the starters are getting a little bit worn down at the beginning of the season because they're having to play so long. I think as you see the season progress, one thing that you will see is that once some of these, place, these pieces come back and be healthier, you'll see a little bit of a balance um, coming off the bench. Now, some of these players need to step up. You see a guy like Cam Reddish who has so much talent. He just needs to be a little more consistent with it. I have a lot of optimism for this team, but some of these struggles need to be addressed. And I think these Hawks see their struggles. And this is something that's come out recently is that there's a little bit of a rift. And I think that is a good thing. There is nothing wrong with a little bit of a rift within a team. Sometimes that that conflict with the team can help them overcome. And as a team that is learning to grow and a team that seems that they have a lot of confidence and they feel that they can be better as a team and that their record should be better, which I think it should be. That addressing some of these things within the team is a very good thing. That conflict is going to help them not be complacent with what they're doing. Because one thing that is not going to be good, showing that you're a good team and actually performing like a good team, which means that you're getting wins on top of performing, that's what needs to be looked at overall. So... One thing that happened in a session on Tuesday was some players called out Trey Young. 
in the film session, they said, hey, you got to do better. You got to get into your sets better. We got we to gotta play more team ball. We got to do a little less isolation. And now, Trey Young, a player who has kind of had to carry this team over the past year or so, is adapting and trying to figure out what it is like for him to have other players with him who are ready to ball out. So he didn't play too well on Wednesday night where they lost to Charlotte. They started real slow. Trey Young was not the Trey Young that we have seen for most of the season. I think he'll bounce back. Sometimes it could be a little bit tough for these players who are on the brink of star to really learn and to really grow into what it is like to be a star. With that being said, he's going to bounce back. He's going to learn how to help out his teammates a little bit more because right now it is on Trey Young to do what he does, but also lift up the players around him and put them in better places to succeed. If Trey Young is able to do that, you will see a team that will be able to make the playoffs as well as make some noise in the playoffs. I don't know how far they'll go in the playoffs, but they have definitely shown that they can play some of these teams competitively with these other superstars. And they've seen it. You've seen it with the Nets. Now let's see it with the other teams as well. You got to beat these teams like Charlotte that you're supposed to be able to beat. You got to beat these teams like Cleveland that you're supposed to be able to beat. These lower teams, those are the teams that you got to take care of business at. And these other teams that are going to be in these other playoff teams, like a Miami, like a Brooklyn, like a Milwaukee, like an Orlando. When you start playing those teams more competitively and you start showing them that you mean business, that's only going to make the team feel better. That's only going to grow morale. That's going to make everybody feel confident enough that they're going to be ready to take care of business. And when that happens, that's when a team starts being able to show the potential that they're able to do. And they're going to grow into that because this is still a very young team. But they're a very young team that is definitely poised to make some noise. You're listening to the Slip with Brandon Bear. All right, Slip Nation, it's time to get into some Falcons talk. Today we got our year in review for Slip Nation and... What I'm going to go through is my team MVP, the offensive MVP, the defensive MVP, the special teams MVP, who I think is the rookie of the year, the comeback player of the year, the most improved, the breakout player, and also the most disappointing player. Um, and I'll go through a little bit of the stats and I'll also get a little bit more um, information on these and, and show you, and tell you why. Um, I said these things. Um, now let's let's get started with just the team MVP. I think if you know me, 
And I think if you listen to the previous episode of The Slip with Mike Clayton, I think you very well know who our team MVP is. It is the person who I think is um, the best player on the team, if not the best player or one of the best players on the team. And that would happen to be Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett does did what Grady Jarrett does. Okay, he got five sacks which is down three sacks from his um, career high uh, two years ago, but I'm pretty sure the five sacks led the team at defensive tackle where there's going to be a lot of people that's going to be double teaming them the whole time. He had 28 pressures overall, which which tied a career high, and he also had 20 cube quarterback hits, which also was a career high. Grady Jarrett did what Grady Jarrett does. All right, let's get into our offensive MVP. And who I think got the offensive MVP was Calvin Ridley, who balled out. Okay, this this young man balled out, and he was hurt for a good third of the season. He had a foot sprain that caused him to miss one game, and he came back and continued to play on it, expect some offseason surgery, but he was definitely the best player on this offense. In 15 games, he had 90 receptions for 1,374 yards, which was fifth in the NFL, and also had nine touchdowns to go along with it. Now, that was not a career high in touchdowns because he had 10 his rookie year, but nine touchdowns is definitely nothing to sneeze at. And what I think Calvin Ridley showed is that he is a guy that is a number one wide receiver. And I think he also showed towards the end of the year that he does not need Julio Jones to be in the lineup for him to excel as well. Now, what I'm hoping for next year is that it could be one of those 2012 years where Roddy White was still balling out and Julio Jones started to become who Julio, Julio Jones became. And having those two number one wide receivers putting up those kinds of numbers can definitely do some damage. Let's get into our defensive MVP. And I would have to say Foye Oluokan. He led the team with 117 tackles. He also added three sacks along with that, as well as four forced fumbles, nine QB hits, and two interceptions. And the biggest part about that was the two interceptions. And as he has come into the league, he has gotten better at his pass defense. When he first came into the league as a rookie, he was giving up a passer rating of 117. That dropped down to about 102 or 103 in his second year. And in his third year, dropped down another 10 points or so to 89. That continued pass defense is going to be incredible for the next defensive coordinator that's coming in for the Falcons. Because at that point, you have two linebackers that are going to be good in coverage. Now, the one thing that, you know, they need to prove on is their run defense. Now, overall, the Falcons had a pretty decent run defense at times. 
But I feel like the linebackers need to improve on that. And if we have two linebackers that are good in pass defense as well as good in run defense, they're going to be a problem to come for years. Let's get into our special teams MVP. I don't think this is any surprise for anybody. I don't think we had anything good on the kick returns or punt returns. Nothing bad. Our punter was, you know, pretty good. I was hating on him early, but he did what he needed to do. But the special teams MVP is none other than Young Way Coop, um, who was 37 of 39 in field goals made. He was the epitome of consistency for this team. I think he was the only person consistent for this team. Although at the end of the season, he missed a field goal against the Chiefs that, you know, would have moved that game into overtime. I think he showed that he deserves to come back and that he can step into that role to be that consistent person that Matt Bryant was. Because he was 8 of 8 for, for field goals over 50 yards. That is a huge deal. Which made it even more frustrating when the Falcons would get a turnover around midfield and would not be able to get at least one first down to make a, a turnover turn into some sort of points. It seemed like it was all too often that after a turnover, the Falcons weren't able to get themselves in a good position to at least score some points. And they had a guy who could at least get three points, and that hurt the team overall. Now let's get into our rookie of the year. Um, this is kind of difficult because I'm not sure any rookie deserves too much praise, but I think the rookie of the year has to go to A.J. Terrell. In 14 games, he had a, a PFF grade of 60.8, which is all right. You know, I think that is about average over the years. He had one interception, could have been more, seven pass defense, and 74 tackles. You know, I think for a rookie cornerback coming in the league, this is acceptable numbers. He definitely showed that he's a guy that can learn and grow. We saw some of the growing pains that he had over the season, but overall, he was not a liability like a Isaiah Oliver was. He was not lacking in awareness like a Kendall Sheffield was. He was a guy that came in and hopefully is a guy that can continue to grow and be a little part of stability for the defense going forward because that is one side of the ball that definitely needs some consistency. Now, for the comeback player of the year, I got to give that to Keon O'Neal. He started out slow a little bit. I feel like the uh, defensive coordinator at the time um, was not putting him in the best position to succeed. But the more that they put him in a position to succeed, the better he got. And I think that he showed over the last few probably the last half of the season, that he is a guy that can be a starting 
strong safety for a long time for these Falcons. You got to put them in the right position. Um, you know, I always go back to that 2016 year where I, I personally think was Keanu Neal's best season. Um, but he's a big reason why that that team went to the Super Bowl because he was stable in the back end. And that he was so good in run defense. And he was so good at covering those tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. And that's what he that's what the defensive coordinator of the future needs to put him in situations. Put him in situations to succeed, and he will ball out. Quit putting him in situations where he's on on wide receivers too much. He's not in that kind of cover guy. But I do hope that they resign him because I do think he is a person that can ball out for this team. Now let's get into our most improved player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is very easy. It just has to go back to Foyer Lulcon. I've talked about what he did. I don't think anybody else improved that much. I think it may have gone to maybe a Chris Lindstrom or Caleb McGarry, but if you're talking about the most improved, I think Foye Luokan showed that he went from a replaceable linebacker to a guy that has to be on the field. And, and that's what you want out of an improvement. Now let's get into our breakout player. I think that has to go with Russell Gage. I think he is a guy that I was definitely hating on. I didn't think that he would be that good as a slot receiver. I was doubting some of his abilities. Um, I think that at times he looked unfocused. At times he looked like he didn't know um, what he was doing. It seemed that he wasn't a guy that can consistently be um, adding a new level to this offense. But towards the end of the season, you really have to see him and be like, oh, that is a guy that can be a really good slot receiver. Um, and he even balled out when Julio wasn't in the lineup. And, you know, it shows when he got 72 receptions for 786 yards and four touchdowns. There were times, especially late in games, when Russell Gage was the only person balling out. You're trying to drive down the field and put points on the board. Russell Gage was there. He was breaking tackles. He was getting some good yards after the catch, and he was making clutch plays. That's what you need from a slot receiver. And he showed that he can be a slot receiver of the future. Last but not least for the Falcons Yearly rewards is the most disappointing. And now I defend this guy all the time, but my most disappointing player of this season has to go to Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan did not look like he should have. And that's that's just what it is. He had a career high in attempts, yet... He had one of his worst seasons of his career. 
this is a, a person that you expect to be able to not only lead teams down the field, but also make good decisions. And that's just not what we saw. I feel like sometimes he was trying to do too much where he was putting balls in places that just led to interceptions that definitely cost them a couple of games. I also think that he took too many sacks. Now, I'm not sure if it's the chicken or the egg because under Cutter, he has had his most sacks. And although he had 48, he took 48 sacks last year, he took 41 this year. And the time before that, that he had that many sacks was in 2018 when he had 42. But even before that was was 2013 where he took 44 sacks. These are all under Cutter. And that, that's just not what you need. Now, a little bit of this can be blamed on the offensive line. They're still growing. Um, you know, there was a lot of fluctuation. There was, um, you know, some people on the COVID list. Some people got injured. But overall, a quarterback can't be taking that many sacks. And there were some of these sacks where Matt Ryan's has got to get rid of the ball and throw it away. And he was not able to do that. He had 26 touchdowns which was the same as 2019. And that, that's just not acceptable. And, and this is a guy that 35 in 2018, he had 38 in 2016 when he won the MVP. These are not the numbers that a former MVP need to be putting up. He needs to be better. And I think that will help with a better offensive coordinator that will look at Matt Ryan's strengths and say, this is how I'm going to put him in a better position. But Matt Ryan has to also be smarter. You're listening to the Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, all right, Slip Nation. It's time to get into my final thoughts. And this week's final thoughts are um, nothing too deep. But, um, you know, it is about the future hirings of the Atlanta Falcons. They need a new GM and they need a new head coach. And what I'm hoping from these hires is first a GM with some background of drafting good defensive players. I think if we get a GM that has a good background on that, then that will definitely help build up the side of the ball that needs to help the most. Um, and, and that's really what the Falcons need. Now, when it comes to head coach, I want an offensive coach. Our offense is our biggest strength and we need someone who can come in and maximize the strength of this offense as best as possible. There are way too many playmakers and the Falcons have shown the ability to put up points when they're put in the right situation. I mean, shit, they looked really good when they had a, a coordinator like Cutter holding them back. Think about if you had an offensive coordinator and an offensive leader that actually knows what they're doing. And quite frankly, I'm hoping that both the GM and the coordinator are black. I've talked before about the Rooney rule. 
I've talked before about the lack of representation of black coaches in black leadership in the NFL, and Atlanta is a perfect place for that. So for my predictions for the GM and the head coach, I have Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator out of Kansas City, and Rick Smith, the former GM of the Houston Texans. And it seems like he knows how to build a defense as he got people like J.J. Watt and Mario Williams. And that Texans defense looked like a team that would be able to consistently make no, do, do damage in the playoffs. Those are my final thoughts. And this has been The Slip with Brandon Baird. Follow me on Twitter at Beardian underscore Slip. I'll talk to you next week, Slip Nation. Peace.